6.30 p.m. on this March 1st, 2004. Joe Salzone here with you on WGBB. It's good to have you with us. Dave's gone by, normally begins at this time, and Dave is in the studio, but he's going to start a few minutes late tonight because we have a special news event. One of the biggest stories in the news this week was about a movie. Maybe the most controversial film of the past 20 years, if not longer. Of course, I'm talking about The Passion of the Christ, the story of Jesus Christ's last 12 hours on the cross. Action star Mel Gibson directed it and financed it with his own money. Reactions to the film have ranged from people crying and being overwhelmed to being turned off by all the blood and brutality. As if the film's violence weren't controversial enough, charges of anti-Semitism have been lobbed at it. Jews are apparently shown in a negative light throughout the movie and they're blamed for putting Jesus to death. Now, it's a very touchy subject and one that's been on all the talk shows and in all the newspapers the past few weeks. As news director of WGBB, I felt it was my responsibility to present a fair and honest look at the film. But being raised Christian myself and having a low tolerance for violence, I wasn't sure I was the right person to report on the passion. Now, I'm really in no position to say whether passion is offensive to Jews, if it's historically inaccurate, or if it's just too strong for the average viewer. But I was able to convince someone who, I think, will give a very interesting and personal reaction to the movie, and rather than just interview him after seeing the film, I thought it would be much more newsworthy and exciting to follow his reactions during the screening. So what we have is a live feed from the Cross Bay Multiplex in Ozone Park, where the movie is already underway, actually started about 5.30. Reporting on the film and the audience reaction is someone who's well known to the station and certainly known to listeners of Dave's Gone By, Rabbi Saul Solomon. No stranger to the controversy himself. As a matter of fact, his last appearance on this station was so controversial, he may actually lose his job as leader of a religious congregation. He is, of course, a rabbi at Temple Sons of the Bitches in Great Neck, New York, but we're very proud and honored to have him as a guest and to get his reaction to this challenging and possibly inflammatory film. We go now live to Ozone Park, where Rabbi Solomon is watching the movie as we speak. I just hope the feed is working. Uh, Rabbi Solomon, uh, can you hear me? Uh, Rabbi? What? Rabbi Solomon, it's Joe Salzone from WGBB. You're live on the air. Shalom, Joe, and happy Purim. Thank you, Rabbi. Happy Purim to you, too. Are you watching the movie? Yes, yes, I've been watching the movie since 10 to 6. 10 to 6? Didn't the movie start at 5.30? It did, but about the lines of the candy counter, you shouldn't know from it. Is there a big crowd? Huge. Massive. All goyim, except me. Do they buy all the candy? Uh, mostly wine and crackers. I don't know, maybe they're going to do some kind of Rocky Horror thing at the Last Supper. So where are you now? I'm in the theater, in the balcony, so I can talk to you without bothering everybody. I hope you can hear me. I, I don't usually whisper like this. Uh, uh, r- Rabbi. What? What do you think of the film? One word. Boring! Boring? The crucifixion is boring? If these are the stations of the cross, someone change the station. Nothing happens in this goddamn film except God being damned. At five to six, I went out for a refill on the popcorn. I came back ten minutes later. I didn't miss a thing. I think he walked ten feet up Golgotha. That was it. Well, and, and, and he was bleeding more. I've never seen a movie with so much blood and so little action. It's like outtakes from John Woo. Is it intense? I mean, does the violence bother you? It is nice. This is not a rainy day movie on the Wii Network. This is tough stuff. But why do I want to sit here for two hours and watch a person suffer? 
I already know from suffering. I've been married 22 goddamn years. All right, Rabbi, how is the rest of the audience reacting? Uh, they seem to be all right. Uh, one person vomited. A woman got heart palpitations. Two people left after the first whipping. Two up. Hey, hey, you two. What do you think you're doing? You want to do that? Go to the back seat of a car, goddammit. Oh, oh, you know, an usher has to clean that now. Rabbi, you seem quite agitated. Oh, you think this is agitated? You should have seen me trying to park. Oh, Rabbi, are you alright? Oh, disgusting. Is the scene that disturbing? What scene? The guy in front of me just farted. Rabbi, that's really not important. Not important? Did you ever try to eat popcorn with a foot hanging over it? No, I, uh, uh, Next time you have a Milky Way bar, stand next to someone's ass. See how you like it. Oy, I can't eat this now. Wait, 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 what, what the hell are you looking at? Well, excuse me, but the guy in front of me is making Hershey splurts. Well, what the hell am I supposed to do? You want to sit here? Huh? God damn it. Rabbi, uh, Rabbi, can we just hear a bit of the movie? There's been all this talk about it. Can we just kind of hear for ourselves, you know, the, the, the film and the audience, and your reaction? All right, no problem. I'm just going to sit here and watch the film. I'll be quiet. You won't hear a peep. Just so you know, they're starting the 12 stations of the cross. He fell down, went boom, they took off his clothes, they nailed him up. Now we're getting to the good stuff. Rabbi, please. All right, time to watch. Yeah, two hours of this. Ay, what a catch. Sorry, sorry. Ay. This is worse than watching a Ranger game. Robert, how are the other people uh, reacting to it? The rest of the audience. Well, I think the anti-Semitism factor is very clear. Really? Yes, I think there's a strain of anti-Jewishness throughout the film that is deeply affecting the audience. And how can you tell? Because, instead of watching the screen, several people are looking at me angrily. What? You want a piece of me, Goy? Huh? Son of a bitch! Rabbi, uh, maybe you should, uh... Listen, the Jews did not kill Jesus. We should have, but we ain't got that kind of moxie. You know whose fault it is? The Italians. You're Italian, right, Joe? Yeah. Who killed Jesus Christ? Who put him on trial? The Romans. And who lives in Rome? Italians. So why isn't Mel Gibson fanning the flames of anti-Itai hatred, eh? Get Al Pacino and Joe Pesci to play uh, Herod and Pilate and have all the guards eating pasta and mixing cement. Now, it's the Jews who are blamed, because we could have saved him, but said, you know what? He's a troublemaker, a liar, and a lousy carpenter. All right, so what the, what's the message of this movie? Uh, does it make a statement? Well, I will give the filmmaker, Mr. Gibson, some credit. He really believes in the material. He's trying to be faithful to the New Testament, and he only has one or two product placements. Product placements? Oh, yeah, yes, early in the movie. Jesus is deciding whether to be a carpenter or a healer. And there's a Coke machine by the wood shop and a Pepsi machine by the hospital. He chooses the Pepsi, but it's tastefully done. He doesn't actually drink it. Well, well Rabbi, uh, producers tell me we got to wrap up here. Oi, 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 that's horrible. 
What's the matter? Did, uh, did Jesus just die on the cross? No! The guy in front of me fogging again! Oh, sweet Maria. Hey, Putz! Didn't anyone ever tell you they stopped gassing Jews in 1945? Buy some rosemary beads and put them in your tuchus for Christ's sake! Rabbi, the best religious leaders, no matter what the faith, try to teach love and tolerance. Are you getting that from this movie? No. No, I am not. And that's very sad, because you know what a deeply spiritual and humanistic person I am. Well, of course. Oh, God damn it! Who put come under the armrest? Toy, death to them! Death and cholera! Hey, look. Do you need any more from me? I have to take a Nah, nah, Rabbi, I think we're fine. Sal Salman, ladies and gentlemen. Reporting from the Cross Bay Theater in Ozone Park in a screening of The Passion of the Christ. Certainly a controversial film, and one that will resonate for months, maybe years to come. But now we'll go back to our regularly scheduled program. Dave Lefkowitz is ready to uh, begin Dave's Gone By, which airs every Monday night from 6.30 to 8. I'm Joe Salzone. I'll see you tonight at 11. But now sit back, don't relax, because Dave's Gone By begins right now. The following program is brought to you by Total Theater Online. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff or management of WGBB. You're listening to the station that serves your community, 1240 WGBB. And now it's time for Dave's Gone By with David Lefkowitz. Hold me down. Welcome to Dave's Gone By. Talk radio, music, and comedy brought to you every Monday night, 6.30 to 8 p.m. by Total Theatre and Performing Arts Insider Magazine. Sorry about starting a little late tonight, but I thought it was important to have that news story to see the true impact of Mel Gibson's film. And that was Joe Salzone doing the interview there. Nice job, Joe. Joe is also the engineer for this program, has been since the studio moved to Babylon last summer, and he does a fine job, and he also does a fine job on his own programs, he has a bunch on this radio station, probably the flagship is Sunday nights at 7, Your World with Joe Salzone, he generally goes on from 7 to 9, where he talks about politics and social issues, generally from a conservative Republican standpoint, although Joe is young enough to still have an open mind. And I've seen him slowly move to the center, even in just the year and a half I've known him. So while his program still has a very right-wing Fox News slant, Joe is often the most moderate person on it. And it isn't in a smug Bill O'Reilly way. It's in a very lively, funny, and truly curious frame of mind. Sunday nights, 7 to 9. I was a guest last night in the 8 to 9 hour, and if you missed it, that's going to be broadcast on Long Island Cablevision Channel 20 sometime in the next 3 to 4 weeks, 1 o'clock, Sunday afternoons, Long Island Cable Channel 20. See, I told you Joe was a busy bee. He's also on WGBB Radio Sunday nights at 11 for a far more freewheeling show, and he's on Monday nights at 11, same dealie. And of course... You heard him earlier. He hosts the Monday night version of WGBB Tonight, 6 to 6.30, just before my show. You've heard his voice here dozens of times, and he's taken part in discussions and sketches. I've also been on his program a couple of times. Back in June, 
I played some excerpts from my appearances on his show on this program, and back in December 2002, he was my guest. But with so much going on in America, so much happening with the primaries and the war and the FCC and Social Security and gay marriage, if ever there was a time for a freewheeling political discussion, this is it. So Joe is my guest again tonight on Dave's Gone By, our 67th episode, this one called The Cell Zone, for talk show host Joe Salzone, my guest later in the program. But this episode is filled to bursting, because we also have the weekly news gone by, which is kind of our weekend update daily showy look at world events. I'll also be talking about the whole Howard Stern Clear Channel thing on a segment called Dave Goes Off. And if that weren't enough, what would a Dave's Gone By episode be without a little music? And tonight... Glenn Miller, legendary, uh, legendary jazz band leader Glenn Miller, who would have been a hundred years old today, March 1st. So we will honor that with a musical tribute towards the end of the show. What a program! Joe Salzone, Glenn Miller, and me, Dave Lefkowitz, radio personality, theater critic, journalist, and humorist, every Monday night, 6.30 to 8 p.m. on AM 1240 WGBB Freeport, and live audio streaming at am1240wgbb.com. Now, our audio stream was down last Monday, which I was pretty angry about. So, if you tried to get the show on your computer and you couldn't, it wasn't you. It was the phone connection here and the server. But this week, everything should be hunky-dory. Our stream should be a dream. So... If you're listening in your car, but you'll be moving out of signal range, when you get to your house, try and listen in on your hard drive, am1240wgbb.com. If you're already listening at home, but the reception ain't great, again, go to your Dell, go to your gateway, because it's a great way to listen to this program. But make sure it's working. Visit am1240wgbb.com and click the button for a listen live. If it's working, great. Drop me an email, let me know. But if it's not working, especially drop me an email, and also CC the Contact Us button on the website, because the webmaster needs to know. He may not realize that there's trouble with the site until someone tells him. So please, if you like the show, make the effort and see that we're not only on the local airwaves, but also on the internet and available to everyone in the whole country and, I guess, the world. And I realize if it's after sundown and we have a little more leeway to play and say things, we might not if this were a show on in the morning or early afternoons. But, hey, if there are people listening in Australia or Asia, it probably is the morning. So just to be on the safe side, we always say this program is rated DGB-13. Are you listening, FCC? We are warning very clearly parents and children out there that although this show is far, far from obscene or indecent or offensive to community standards, we're also not Disneyland. This isn't Teletubbies. We'll make double entendres. We'll talk about controversial topics. I'll say... The B word, several B words, or the GD word, or the AH word, or various permutations of those alphabetical combinations, so it isn't rated G, 
It's rated DGB-13. You, the listener, have been duly warned. Our caveat has been entered. So go to hell, Michael Powell, and take Clear Channel with you. More on that anon. And on and on and on, as we plunge into the 67th edition of Days Gone By, The Sal Zone, we'll start with my rant about Newsday and Howard Stern after these messages, and you can decide for yourself whether I'm telling it like it is, or if I'm just a First Amendmental case, only 60 seconds from... Now! Welcome back. Today's gone by on AM 1240 WGBB Freeport and AM 1240 WGBB.com. Time for a segment called Dave Goes Off. Off on a topic, off on a rant, just off on things that uh, are kind of in my mind and I want to say something about. And uh, two items today. We'll begin with Newsday and the news. And uh, anybody who subscribes or sees it on the newsstands knows that uh, after about 20 years of having the same format, Newsday did a revamp and uh, changed the look at it, the whole style of it. Um, You know, papers do this every once in a while to kind of draw attention to themselves and make their lives easier, and they get all these new programs for layout and don't really get to use them until they change things around. Well, and it's also never fair to criticize or, or, or go after a paper as soon as the layout comes out, because, of course the first instincts will probably be negative because you're so used to, day after day, seeing the same old style and look and the presentation of the material that anything different is kind of jarring and you go, oh, that that just doesn't feel right. So to be fair to Newsday, I will say that. However, I am going to criticize it because it's kind of a sucky new look, Newsday. I don't know what you were thinking. And and the first thing that they said, because they knew they'd get criticized about this, but the first thing Newsday said to defend itself is, look, we are using the same font. You know, we haven't made it smaller. Not saying uh, what they really mean is that it looks smaller. And they probably just changed the typeface a little bit so that it really does look a little tinier and probably a little more difficult on a certain level for people to read or maybe older people to read. Um, And I'm sure they're not lying about not changing the size of the print. Um, and they, they've also made the column width a little smaller. And that does, I think in the long run, people will find that you can skim it a little quicker. And that's what everybody wants to do now. Instead of actually reading, they want to be able to skim stuff and get through it faster, whether it's a daily newspaper or a bestseller. Um, so as they has done that, I think one of the problems is that the type looks a little lighter. Maybe the ink they're using. just doesn't seem as dark on the page, and that is a little distracting and distancing. Uh, But what really is starting to bother me is that the photos seem larger, and even though maybe they can squeeze a few more words on the page by using a different typeface, it seems like there's just less information there. It seems that they're trying to block it around a lot more like USA Today, and USA Today is fine if you like USA Today, but I kind of like Newsday, as Newsday, I wasn't even going to mention this or, or talk about this subject on the air to give the paper more of a chance to kind of work its way in and become part of my daily life without criticizing all the changes. But uh, I also got an email from the woman running the entertainment listings column. Now, as a lot of people who listen to this show know, every week I send out an email 
uh, telling people what's going to be on the show and what to listen for and, you know, make a couple of jokes in it and it's kind of a fun thing to read every week. Well, I also send this to the newspapers and places like Time Out New York and other magazines so that they can list Dave's Gone By among the shows uh, that are on the radio. Well, as I said, I got an email this week from Newsday, a very nice lady, who does the listings there, and she says, because of the new format, we do not have room for radio. Uh, they obviously still do television listings, but they figure radio was expendable, and telling folks what they can listen to on the radio dial is somehow not as important as telling them what they can watch on TV. And, uh, you know, it still bothers me, as it always does, that radio is treated like a red-headed stepchild and bastard sister of the uh, visual media. But even more so, here's a, an actual example of Newsday using format over content, eliminating something that perhaps a small number of people would be interested in, but certainly a number of people, uh, and eliminating that in order to make more room just for a different look and bigger headlines and more blocky versions of the same thing that they've had for years. So anyway, that's just my take on, uh, my negative take on the new look of Newsday. But I'm going to stay on the radio topic for a little bit because uh, big news this week, really, kind of uh, front-page national news involving Howard Stern and Clear Channel. Now, Howard Stern's show, his morning radio program, is usually on Infinity Broadcasting. But Clear Channel also carries it on six of its stations. Now, these are just giant conglomerates that own bunches of radio stations all over the country, and in fact, thanks to Howard Stern, uh, a few years ago, pushing the idea and, and prompting stations and the FCC and people to agree with one owner being able to monopolize and own more markets, or, or, or own more segments of one market, own more radio stations in one location, and he was very much pro that. So there's only a few media companies that own hundreds and hundreds of radio stations all over the country. Howard is on, as I said, mostly Infinity, but Clear Channel, their rival, carries his show on six stations in, in six different cities. So they dropped him, at least temporarily, because, wow, suddenly they woke up and noticed that he tends to do rather controversial material. Go figure. I wonder where they've been since 1982. Now, of course, you can say everybody's on a little more guard because of what happened at the Super Bowl with Janet Jackson showing her boobie accidentally, not accidentally, semi-accidentally. It was the Super Bowl. There were, you know, what is it, 400 million people potentially watching and a lot of children and, you know, middle of the afternoon and television. So FCC took a lot of heat. So did MTV and CBS, of course, but for saying how could they allow this on the public airwaves with, with in that context. So now everybody's doubling back and everybody's afraid and I guess all the TV stations and radio stations are waiting for the next shoe to drop, waiting for the FCC to come down really hard like a hammer because everybody's watching them and figuring, well, if the FCC lets X get away with this, will they let Y get away with that and where's the slippery slope and all that. So... That, of course, leads to self-censorship, which is exactly what Clear Channel is doing. It happened to be the week that they were going in to meet with the FCC to discuss new policies on policing their 
their shows, their airwaves. They're calling it a zero-tolerance policy, blah de blah They also fired another DJ. We're not really familiar with him in New York, but someone named Bubba the Love Sponge. I've never heard this guy. I don't know if he's good. I don't know if he's bad. I don't know if he rips off Howard Stern and Imus or the Morning Zoos or if he's his own guy and is really hilarious. I just love the name Bubba the Love Sponge. And I hope a lot of people do, too, enough to get him reinstated back on the air because he was fired because the FCC was going to find one of the radio stations that he's on, WXTB in, uh, I think it's Miami or Tampa, Tampa, I think. FCC was going to find them $715,000 because of his content stuff. He was doing a comedy sketch about cartoon characters having sex. Well, you know, I wonder how long this guy has been on the air and people are used to his program and kind of know that if you don't want to hear that kind of humor and talk and comedy, you don't listen. You you leave the dial off until he's over or you turn it to another station. It is about freedom, freedom of speech. Now, let me go on the FCC side of things for just a minute and, and the, the angry housewife side because it always seems to be an angry housewife who's either suing MTV for what happened in the Super Bowl or Terry Racolta who went after married with children all those years ago for being kind of indecent. I understand, especially with Howard Stern, that it is the morning and I am sometimes shocked at what Stern gets away with during hours when most kids are watching The Wiggles and Dora the Explorer on TV. I might suggest, and I wonder why they never have done this, to just you have to let Howard be Howard. That's why he is special. That is why he revolutionized talk radio. But at the same time, I don't think it would kill K-Rock or all the stations that he's on, YXP in Philadelphia, wherever he's syndicated, that once an hour, they can do a 15-second, half-a-second warning uh, this program may not be suitable, blah, blah, blah. It's exactly what I do here in my way when I say this program is rated DGB-13. It's telling folks, okay, you know, you're tuning in, and I'm going to entertain you, and I'm not going to be obscene or anything, but eh, maybe if you have kids, maybe if you don't like a certain kind of humor, certain things are going to turn you off and offend you. I'm warning you now. Um, caveat emptor, as I said before. I don't see why Stern and some of those other programs can't simply do that. Now, of course, the joke is, if, you, if they do that at the top of the hour, and an eight-year-old tunes in the radio at one minute after the top of the hour, they miss it. And they hear 59 minutes of, of indecent material. But, you know, you, you can't have a constant crawl either on the TV in subtitles or on the radio saying, if you're a child, don't listen. If you're a child, don't listen. You have to kind of go with the flow and understand that a particular program may not be always suitable. So, and also I should say that there's a conflicting report on why Clear Channel decided to censor Stern this time. They point to a general content issue that, you know, he's always talking about sex. I mean, you can see that from the TV show he does that's taken from the radio show. He's always talking about wild issues and crazy things and very, very sometimes R-rated material. And he's doing it, as I said, in the middle of the morning. I also heard that in this particular instance, um, someone who was monitoring the show, as they do for naughty words, because they can go on like a 10-second delay. There's something called a dump button, as I probably know. 
where the engineer can hit the button and the bad word doesn't actually go out over the air because there's a 10-second delay from when the live speech is actually happening to when it's going out over the air. So they can block out the naughty word if someone accidentally says something wrong. The Oscars, I think, this year did a five- or eight-minute delay, which is ridiculous. But anyway, in this particular Howard Stern show in question, they hit the dump button like 16 other times, but they missed one. And they missed a a rather nasty one. It was apparently someone calling in to to talk to, like, the guy who was stooping Paris Hilton and made, uh, used the N-word, made a racial reference in a not very nice way, which is not nice, which is an indecent thing. And they, they didn't, I guess, hit the dump button in time or they didn't catch it. And this is what got Clear Channel in a total huff. But I have to wonder about that. I have to wonder, like, if someone calls into the show. This isn't Howard Stern saying something. This isn't Robin Quivers or Stuttering John or Boy Gary or any of those people. This is just someone from outside calling in, listener calling, who said something bad. And this is why they're, they're temporarily canceling the show. What if I decided to call Regis and Kelly when they do that morning quiz thing, and I decided to, to call him some horrible Irish name and use the F word? Would that get Regis and Kelly fired? Maybe it would get their standards and practices person uh, put on probation for a day. But it certainly shouldn't stop their program. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I had another idea though, uh, again, about the whole morning thing. As I said, I was kind of... I'm still a little surprised at what they do allow Stern and... I don't listen to Imus, but I assume him too, and the morning zoo people, to get away with in the middle of the morning. So, if push really came to shove, why not have them go to the evening? I realize that is backpedaling and running scared. But it must, might change the nature of radio also. You know, everything after 7 o'clock in the evening, besides this show, uh, is just not treated with as much importance in all facets of radio because it's after the two big drive times, morning drive and the afternoon commute home. So, you know, commercials are cheaper and the arbitrons aren't as high and people, you know, are also mellower about what's on it. So, why not treat the Stern show and, and shows like that the way television would treat NYPD Blue or their sex-filled reality shows. They don't change them, but you put them on in an hour where it's more acceptable. It's like even HBO, which, like satellite radio and other cable networks, is not bound by the FCC rules that we're talking about. But they do put different programming on at 10 at night than they do have at, at 10 in the morning. So my solution here is don't give in to the FCC create ways to show that to show the FCC that in the right place at the right time controversial or even somewhat indecent programming is acceptable and manageable I just got a copy of um, cable television Long Island cables public access policies because if you've ever watched channel 20 I think sometimes at 16 and seen some of the things that they put on at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night me I'm shocked sometimes to hear the language or, or the things that they're doing on there. But you know what? It says right in the, uh, in the guidelines for public access that um, you can't do anything obscene, ever. But after 10 o'clock at night, indecency is okay. They use that word. You can be indecent 
after 10 o'clock at night, which I think is kind of amazing. So that may not be to your taste. And if it isn't, so watch public access. And if your young kids are watching it, well, what are they doing up at 10 at night unsupervised anyway? Now, I admit my show is kind of borderline because it's on in the evenings but not late when Dave's Gone By started. It was on at Sunday nights at 11, so there was a little less of a perception of pressure to be careful. And WGBB is still very good about letting people do what they want to do here, for which I'm very grateful. And I hope that the whole Clear Channel FCC Big Brother mess does not have a chilling effect on comedy, on political discourse, on modern music, on the honest expression of anger or amusement or rage or delight. Janet Jackson may have offended a few people by showing her nipple, which was wrong at that time in that context. But if the FCC wants to turn that into the waterloo of free speech on the public airwaves, then I'm not only going to show my nipple to anyone who wants to see it, but I'll also show my tight white ass just long enough for the FCC to bend over and kiss it. Back after this. Hey, Dave's Gone By listeners, if you like hearing me, you'll love reading me even more. So hurry and get my book, Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World, filled with hilarious plays that were performed in New York like King Solomon the Wise and Blind Date. 232 pages of Pure Dave, only $20 hardcover, $12 trade paperback. To get your copy, call 516-295-1511 or visit my website. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on AM 1240 Freeport and AM 1240... I left out the WGBB, didn't I? I've only been doing this for a year and a half. AM 1240 WGBB Freeport and AM 1240 WGBB.com. Well, ever since the uh, Janet Jackson Super Bowl thing, um, you know, our our country, the entertainment world, has been obsessed with uh, tit-for-tat as it were, revenge for <laughs> and payback and things like that. Well, I owe this man quite a bit at this radio station, uh, payback for his having me on his show uh, more than once, in fact, probably nearly a dozen times if you count the various different shows he has on this program. Let's see, um, what shows does he have? He's on Monday nights at 6, Monday nights at 11, Sunday nights at 7, Sunday nights at 11, and then pretty much any time he, he bloody well feels like it, <laughs> gets approval from... But his, his mainstay show, uh, called Your World with Joe Salzone, is on Sunday nights from 7 to 9. That's the, that's the real one to go to for political talk, usually from a rather conservative perspective, but he's a rather open and generous soul when discussing politics. So, I'm having him here on this day before Super Tuesday to discuss politics and all sorts of other stuff. I've had him on the show before. Good friend of mine, good friend at the station, talented fella. Please welcome Joe Salzone. Hi, Joe. Well, thank you very much for having me and dragging me out of my office today. Oh, you're, you're <laughs> so very, very welcome, you 19-year-old you. That's the thing people may not yeah. know. Uh, you are 19. I am. And, and I turn 20 next month. I, I feel like I've been 19 now for the past five years. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, I am 19. One of the youngest. Well, because you played it up. You, I remember when you started, I was like, the youngest yeah. talk radio when guy. I, when I first got to, uh, to GBB back in 2001, I became a regular host here in the beginning of 2002. 
I was talking to uh, someone who used to do a show here, Mike Littman. You might remember him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he came up, you know... He, he, you got You want to do something original, so why don't you call yourself the world's youngest political talk radio host? It's kind of good, but it just eventually got too long, and then I turned 19. And, and you got too old. Then I stopped doing it. Because someone in, you know, 16 is in Atlanta doing the same thing I'm doing. I'm 16 years old? Yeah. Oh, well. I was probably married with kids, you know, Could in be. Atlanta, yeah. Married to his mom anyway. or something. <laughs> well, by the way, your birthday is April 20th, and I never yeah. fail to point this out, because you share a birthday. No, it's the same as Adolf Hitler's, That's who was born 100 years before me. He was born in 1884, I was born in 1984. Wow. Go figure. And another, you know, incredible political sounding year. Anyway, we're wasting time because <laughs> there's so much. What a week we just yeah. got out of. There was mm. so much going on last week. It was bizarre. From there was no time for sleep last week. The Oscars and the entertainment world. Right. That's the most minor thing of all. But I want to start with entertainment because that's sure. basically, even though we're political, or you are certainly, we're entertainers. Sure. And I want to get your take on the whole FCC Howard Stern thing. You know, frankly, I was watching some of the testimony that uh, executives at Clear Channel and Infinity were giving in front of Congress. I thought it was outrageous uh, that they would, all of a sudden, after 10 years of having guys like Stern on the air, all of a sudden are appalled at, at his content. I think this is essentially a fallout from Nipplegate, as we like to call it around here in the world. Tit for tat. Exactly. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's pathetic. I, first of all, I don't listen to Howard Stern and I listen to that kind of radio. I think it's, I, I think it's, uh, very lowbrow. But, um, I, I don't think the, the, uh, outrage is real, to be honest with you. I, I think they're afraid of the FCC. I'm talking about Clear Channel and right. Infinity. And Infinity, right. They're afraid of the FCC. They're afraid of the government. And, and quite frankly, they're, they're afraid of losing money. And they have, they've lost a lot of money. I didn't realize Stern was only on about 70 stations, stations and I was on about 40 nationwide. Uh, he's losing his appeal, in my opinion. I think, you know, um, Americans are, are they want they want something new. They want you know they want more uh, news and information. At least judging from my point of view, they want to get, they want to be informed. And quite frankly, you can't have three lesbians on every single day. It's just not it gets boring. I would speak for yourself. All right. right. Four lesbians. Yeah, Four lesbians. When they get tired of Five three, they add a fourth, and, and <laughs> one of them gets down and starts breaking wind, and, yes. and you know, like they they start flipping all over the place. Right? Yeah, they do. <laughs> That's your new word for the day. That's my new word of the day. Last week Talk was the Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I guess we can't avoid politics. So yeah. Super Tuesday coming up. Uh, you're now. Let me. Get, you're not a Democrat, right? I'm not a Democrat. <laughs> I am a proud member of the Republican Party, though I'm a broadcaster first, conservative second. I'm not beholden to any. Well, what makes you a member of the Republican Party? Why um, that choice? Well, first of all, I'm a conservative before I'm a Republican, because I'm not, as, as I said, I'm, I'm not beholden to any ideology. Um, I believe in small government. I believe in strong national security. I, I think the values that I hold is the same thing by large that the National Republican Party holds, and and that's why for a long time I didn't really know what the difference with a Democrat uh, between a Republican and a Democrat was. Still don't really. Um, but no, I. I <laughs> it's an extra zero on your paycheck. Isn't it? Uh -huh. uh, that's the difference. I knew yeah. it. Uh, no, I. You, I you know. Working here, you should be a libertarian. But anyway. Um, <laughs> or a fascist. <laughs> yeah. Um, or trying to use food delivery man, but we won't go there. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Let's just alienate people right oh, now. Oh, Mexican food. I don't know. I like a good taco. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's, um, that's what I've heard from. Uh, anyway. Not right. go there. Wow. Um, no, I think uh, my opinions are the same as a conservative, so I embrace... Well, you, you actually said you said national um, strong security. 
Yeah. Was that big for you before? Nine, I mean, were you a Republican before 9-11? I was, I've been a Republican since 7th grade. And so that was, that was it wasn't before. national... I mean, I, that probably wasn't, wasn't on the radar. Wasn't necessarily national security. That wasn't really the first thing. But I, I've always believed that the government should just focus on security and nothing else. I think they should really stay out of our lives and, and stay out of our day-to-day routines. I think that one of the problems with the Democratic Party is, over the last 10 years or so, uh, it, it shifted from being the party of John Kennedy to now it's, it's the party of John Kerry, who has who embraced the extreme left wing of the Democratic Party. Now, that's not a bad thing, but if, if he wants to, you know, Super Tuesday is tomorrow, if he wants to beat George Bush in November, he has to somehow call in the moderate Democrats, because let's face it, 45% of people would consider them Republican, 45% are Democrats. It's that 10% that you will need and I, I think people who embrace either the far right or the far left will alienate, alienate. But when you say Kerry embraced, quote-unquote, did, like, did Dean do that and, and brought them back in and excited everybody else? Howard Dean did embrace the far left. It didn't work for him. Uh, he, he was able to bring in new people, but they ended up voting for John Kerry in Iowa and New Hampshire. Right. So why, if Kerry takes in and makes sure that the left, just the way George Bush is making sure not to lose his conservative right-wing Christian you know, gun nut, bunch by doing this whole gay marriage thing and the partial birth abortion thing, why shouldn't Kerry say, look, you know, I haven't forgotten all you people who are who are a bit out there, even more left than I am, you know, you're in Well, you know, he, has every, he has every right to do that, and, and more power to him if he can, you know, bring in the power of the, uh, the far left. I think if he wants to win in November, same thing with Bush, if they want to win in November, they have to remember that probably a majority of people in this country would consider themselves moderate. Why? Yeah. Why is don't ask Kerry me. I, not I am perceived not... as moderate. That's what I want to know. I mean, his one thing. Well, take a look at his voting was, record. He, was, he would, went to war, mm-hmm. and now he's voting against war because he's seeing it up close. No, uh, it's not that simple. If you take a look at his voting record the last thirty years, he is a, a far right Massachusetts leftist liberal. He real, and I mean that's not to knock him, but if his voting record is at best far left. On on what issues? Well, on national security, I mean, he's voted uh, cutting the military in half. Uh, he's voted for basically gutting the intelligence services, gutting the CIA. Uh, he went to Vietnam, and he's a war hero, but then he came back and, and bashed the troops and bashed the country in front of Congress in 1970. I, I Honestly, I don't think John Kerry really knows what he's saying. I doubt he bashed the troops. He, no, he bashed the troops. He, he said that troops in Vietnam, U.S. troops, uh, slaughtered people. They were criminal uh, war crimes and, and crimes against humanity. Is that bashing or is that <laughs> expert? That's bashing because he didn't back it up with any fact. Mm. Okay. And, and if you, if, I mean, you can make all the accusations if you want, but if there's no fact to back it up, then... By the way, we're leaving out, uh, you know, another person running. Actually, two other people running. Kucinich and Sharpton, they're basically what you call varsity candidates. They really have no chance of winning. What they want is either to increase their own... Uh, prestige within the Democratic Party or to gain a voice in the uh, Democratic Convention which takes place, I believe, in May in Boston. Um, or it, it could be just, you know, they, they want an alternative, I guess. Okay. Well, um, sure, certainly. Uh, Sharpton would love an alternative. I don't, I just, I, I, I don't know why he didn't back, um, I've already forgotten her name, but uh, the black woman who was running and obviously with, with not much support, but if there's, if Sharpton knows he'll never get He'll never go near the White House, but mm. why wouldn't he have thrown more of his support behind her 
and pushed her. That's what I don't understand. Well, Carol, Carol Mosley Braun. Carol Mosley Braun. Well, Carol Mosley Braun actually, uh, when she dropped out of the race a few months ago, she uh, she supported Howard Dean right. when he was still seen as the the front runner. That of course he really well, collapsed yeah. after Iowa and that whole scream thing. Um, which was nonsense, but it, it was nonsense. It was blown out of proportion. But I think um, you know what, you have three cable news channels and they kept replaying it 52 yeah. times an hour. Uh, even I'm guilty of doing it. It's, it's a funny. It's a funny thing to hear though. It's funny. Well, it's funny, but it was, it was to, to make that as a negative thing. It was. It was. Just well, I think a lot of people saw that as, as he's not stable enough to be president. Howard Dean. Ridiculous. I mean, I don't know. He, I, no, he may not be, but it wouldn't be from that moment. It wouldn't be from just screaming. I think it was a lot of things. He was seen as being a very angry, angry man. Uh, well, yeah. Even before Iowa, he was seen as as being almost like. Um, what was the analogy I heard? He was. Um, Kind of like the the kid in college, who he knew everything and he was always right, and then when you try to show that he was wrong, he would basically throw a tantrum, and that's right. what Howard Dean was. Well, he, and he then, exploded basically. Right, and then after you know, after I've used this analogy many times on the air and off the air too. Uh, after he lost in Iowa, New Hampshire, and that string of defeats all around the country right. in primaries and caucuses, he became the fat kid in gym class during dodgeball who kept getting hit with the red balls, but would refuse to leave the game. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, he he stayed, you know, maybe one primary longer than he had to, just to make sure that he had no, no shot. But I don't. He see stayed. That. He stayed for you know almost twelve. Yeah, but it didn't hurt the party. I mean, it didn't he, hurt the party, but it didn't it didn't make the national party happy. It didn't make Kerry McAuliffe happy, the chairman of the DNC. Right. But but maybe it woke Kerry up because Kerry was just sleepwalking or or seeing Kerry. That that was a strange thing because a year ago Kerry was the front runner, and then his campaign kind of flatlined. Right. And all of a sudden Dean flatlined, so Kerry becomes the front runner, and then you have John Edwards, who uh, if he doesn't put there are ten there are ten primaries and caucuses tomorrow. Right. Um, if John uh, Edwards does not win at least two. There's no way he can still say this is a two-man race because it is. It, it, first of all, it is a two-man race, but it, it eventually is going to be a one-man race if you don't start winning. But he wouldn't even be in a decent shot for Veep? I don't think so. If you saw that debate uh, Sunday in New York... I missed it. No. The, the New York Times. I mean, they were, they were really nasty to each other. Um, but then again, you know, Bush and Reagan were in 1980, and then right. Bush yeah. joined. I don't know. Politics, you, you, it's hard to predict sometimes. Really Would he make a good... Assuming that... Uh, and again, you're you're not a Democrat, but yeah. do you think they would make a good ticket or a good team? I if think they, they were would. elected. I think they would actually. I think if John Kerry wants to capture the South, he would be smart to put John Edwards on the ticket. Uh, John Edwards is seen as as being uh, this is going to sound kind of nasty, but the, he's kind of like the pretty boy of the Democratic Party. Oh, he's, yeah, I, he's the I, media I darling. He looks like he should be hosting uh, Family Feud. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a nice guy. He he doesn't he has avoided the negative attacks and more power to him for that. Yes. Uh, he's avoided doing uh, the name calling and getting into arguments with the candidates. The thing is, though, I, a Kerry Edwards shot team has the best shot of beating Bush Cheney. More so than more so than anyone else in the Democratic Party. Clark, no. Uh, Clark, no, because he's too wired into the Clinton camp, and I think that would really tick off a lot of people in this country. You think the what? Well, I'm not talking about Republicans. I'm talking about. I'm the, talking in general. Hmm. It would take off. Bill Clinton is not nearly as popular as you might think in the Democratic Party anymore. Anymore, well, anymore. Uh, and, uh, I, I'm so, uh, the other names that have been floating around: uh, Bill Richardson, the governor of New Mexico, okay. Hispanic, uh, great guy. Um, Bill Nelson of uh, the senator from Florida, another candidate possibly. Uh, there have been Hillary Clinton has well, been. Let me ask you something: if, if the Democrats came into office 
mm-hmm. and you had you you live with that because yeah. you're an American. Cool. You know, I, I know you don't want them to. But what would be like the thing you most dread about that happening? About a, a democratic administration? Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, it's not just one thing that would make me a little nervous. It's all, it's a combination of a lot of things, really. I think of it in the context of what's going on in this country in the last two and a half years since September 11th, 2001. Um, I, one of my biggest fears would be we would probably be right back where we were in 93 after the World Trade Center was bombed, uh, in 98 when the two uh, towers, embassies in Africa were, were bombed, in 2000 when the U.S.'s coal in Yemen was attacked. I th- I'm afraid that if we have John Kerry in the White House... Uh, we would go from uh, our lives being protected under Bush to our lives being vulnerable under under care. But that's just that's my opinion. That's, I'm not basing that as a news anchor. That's okay. my analysis cool. of the situation. No, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you as a person, by the way. I'm, I, I know we're talking politics and stuff like that, but you're a guest right. as a human being. Last time you were on the show uh, back a little over a year ago, yeah, it's been a, it's we talked more about you know your coming out of Texas and right. life and school and, and how you got into radio. Yeah. So. You know, that's why we're, we're no problem. No, I understand. We're just because you know your your life is incredibly boring, and, and this is more interesting. But it's really not as boring. <laughs> All right. Yeah. What's the most interesting thing that happened to your life besides radio? Uh, in the last 19 years, I've been alive. Okay. Getting a job at Fox News Channel. Yeah, what do you do there? I work in the newsroom, as, as a matter of fact. In what capacity? I do the writing. I write some of the uh, news updates for the top and bottom of the hour and some of the segments. You're kidding me. That's I'm terrific. It's uh, it's probably one of the hardest jobs on all the cable. Because, you know what, news, it, you don't realize this, uh, but news happens, news breaks literally every two minutes. There's something well, going on that. in the world. Yeah. And normally, uh, stations like CNN and MSNBC and, and Fox News Channel, they are wired into uh, bureaus around the world. CNN has the most because they've been around 20 years, or 24 years, actually. They've been around since 1980. Um, they also have what they call network news affiliates around this country. Uh, these are the smaller network stations that sign on to Fox and CNN and MSNBC. So, like, let's say there's a um, uh, for a, a car chase in California. Uh, Fox might break in and, and use KABC Channel 7 out, out there. They would break in and use their coverage. Or, like, I remember last year, the uh, councilman who was shot at City Hall, uh, uh, sitting in Fox, and, and, you know, they broke in with... Uh, WNYW Channel Five in New York. Right. So yeah. is that it's 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 very busy. It's it's I've been around. I've seen CN, uh, CNN. I've seen how MSNBC operates. Fox is the most hands-on. You don't really get a break. Uh, it's just it's you got to be on your feet all the time, twenty-four-seven. So when the news comes in, you physically what? When when you get something new, I don't really, I don't normally handle the breaking news unless it's a really serious story like a, a an explosion in the Middle East, uh, which it it happens on a regular basis, so it's not that important anymore. It's, to them, it is, and it, it's still you know ongoing situation out there. Um, let's say uh, it's well, I'll give you an example actually. Yeah. Uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, I was sitting. I was actually sitting in the old GBB office, and I broke in for coverage on this station. But I remember the next day I was at Fox News Channel, and I, it's you. You would be amazed at just how, first of all, how unglamorous the television business really is behind the scenes. I believe it. Um, and two, the stuff that goes in. You have, let's see, they're at Sixth uh, uh, Avenue. Um, they're uh, the, the, they have a big building, it's a News Corp building owned by Rupert Murdoch. They have the main studio, then the control room, then Studio B, then the control room Studio B. 
then the audio rooms, the visual rooms, um, production okay. rooms, and everyone is wired into, you know, they, they have the, uh, the headphones on, and I mean, it's, everyone is on their feet at all times, and uh, I have, I actually, I think I might still have this with me, I have a format sheet yeah. of one of their shows, for an hour show, it's like seven pages long. Oh, yeah. They get it. They get it. Well, again, you, you, physically. I mean, physically, what happens is it, we get it through our computers. It's it's called a top line. That's mm-hmm. the uh, computer service, and you know you get the urgent. Maybe a correspondent who's around the scene or, or around the area will type it in. Uh, for example, Brett Baer, the national security correspondent for Fox, he's at the Pentagon all the time. And if something goes on there, uh, either he'll give us an urgent for about a, a news conference that's going to take place or or uh, a press release that just came out, he'll type it in to the producers in New York, which is, that's where Fox is based out of. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say it's during Shepard Smith's show, so he'll get it on the computer literally within seconds, and either during a break, the producer will talk to him in his, in his IFB, which is the earpiece they wear. Um, or, you know, what happened is, they will literally, um, one of the, uh, the, the floor manager will actually hand him a piece of paper, and he'll read it as they're on the air, without... Really right. beforehand, it's, it is an amazing business. It really is. Um, but are you, are you actually writing the stories, or just like I, coming I, up next is what? No, what? I don't do the teaser. The teaser is actually ad libbed. Um, oh, okay. If you've ever seen a teleprompter, what they do is they have the anchor's name, who's on, and they'll say, you know, um, whatever the topic is, and then they say ad lib. And that's where the anchor ad libs, and then the director will give them, you know, you have ten seconds to do this. Right. It's complicated because you're always up on a, you're up against a hard break, which is. Uh, commercial breaks are are programmed into a computer, so that it'll cut you off if you're in mid sentence. A lot of radio stations are like that. A lot of radio too, stations yeah. do that as well. It 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 helps uh, management because if there's a breaking news story, you actually have to call management and tell them to actually you know uh, take away block uh like uh, eliminate the entire block. Yeah. Um, it's it's never the same thing twice over there. Wow. Um, Fun. I I love it though. I'm not complaining. I love I love it over there. Yeah. Have you ever felt the need to spin anything or to... No. You know, um, when I'm over there, uh, Fox is accused of being a right-wing network. I, I, I get defensive about that, not only because I'm an employee of them. I don't think there's a right-wing slant. I think what Fox has done is, is they gave voice to conservatives when CNN and MSNBC and ABC, NBC, CBS didn't do that for, for years. Right. And all of a sudden, Fox comes out in 96. No one thought it would survive. They, you know, they always called it the fledgling Fox News Network. They wouldn't even get the, the name of the channel right. And then all of a sudden, I think it was uh, 2001, 2002, they beat CNN for the first time in the ratings, and they've been doing that ever since. Um, Do you think I've never felt any kind of pressure to spin a story one way or another. I think what, what we do at Fox is we, pres- we provide both sides of a story and then let the viewer decide for themselves. And you, um, this is in the terms of the news. I'm not, of course, yeah. talking about more uh, subjective programming right. like, like O'Reilly. 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 I mean, he, he's, he's very fair. He's a very nice guy off the air, by the way. Is he really? He's I'm a very nice guy. He's uh, very... Pro- Everyone over there is actually very nice. There's not one egomaniac on the team. Uh, oh. There's not one guy that I, I don't like to work with. And they're all very nice, uh, contrary to CNN, which they're all whatever. Uh, I have stories on Larry King. I'll tell you that off the air, actually. Oh, come on, come on. All right, actually, I'll tell you one. Andy Herzman, who's the executive producer for the Your World programs around here, mm-hmm. uh, he worked at CNN back in the 80s, and there was one time uh, Larry King got his show from the L.A. Bureau on CNN, which a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, okay. Um, they have to put the... Uh, what happens, you know, he doesn't wear a suit jacket. Yeah, so, he's got those suspenders. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. 
so what they do is they have to put the ISB under his shirt, and he's got the hairiest back of anyone oh. in this business. And yeah. the worst breath, apparently. I've never met him. Don't have any intention of well, meeting him. Well, this is why he had, like, what is it, 14 wives at this point? or 14 wives, I think, the span of maybe six weeks. Oh, <laughs> I love each and every one of them. Your thoughts. Peoria. If you've ever heard of his radio show, he's actually a really mean guy. I can... He's, he's like, uh, and my voice is going on. I'm going to try to do this. So, like, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you're on the air. Hi, Larry, what's your question, please? Oh. Very nasty guy. So, but when were you, what experiences did you have at CNN? I've, I've only been there on a tour. Oh, okay. I've never actually worked there. I w- I, to be honest with you, I wouldn't want to work there. Really? It's a stifling environment ever since AOL bought them. It was wow. stifling. Okay, speaking of, oh my gosh, we're almost done with the segment here, but, uh, and, and, well, there were 12 other things I wanted to ask you about, but instead I'm going to let you push your, your show and stuff like that. So Which remind one? me, <laughs> remind me, I don't think I didn't even mention your television thing. Just, yeah, just uh, it up. Well, you can, uh, actually, if you just uh, log on to joesalzone.com, all the information is, is there. Um, your World, Sunday night, 7 to 9 p.m., it's, it's fast-paced, it's, it's, it's almost like a cable news show on radio. It's very fast, very intense. And, and there are times when it's really, really good because I'm on it. Exactly, and you're on it quite often because now you're a part of the team. Yeah. And you'll be with us throughout the year for our election coverage. God willing, thank you, yes. yes. Um, then we have uh, Your World After Dark, Sunday nights 11 to 11.30. Your World After Dark, the Monday edition, 11 to midnight. Uh, then the half hour before your show on Monday nights. Then the TV show um, on Sunday afternoon. Wow, I don't even remember these things Channel anymore. 20. This Channel one I 20. Uh, actually, in April, we moved to a new time. Friday mornings at 5 a.m., Oh, dear. So we, you had no control over no, that? No, I don't have any control over that. Um, and then, actually, we're doing Super Tuesday coverage tomorrow from 9 to 9.30 and then 11 to midnight, a one-hour late-night wrap-up of, of all the big caucuses and primaries going on. Yeah. And, and I thank you again because I will be uh, part of that. By phone, I'll be yeah. coming both from 9 to 9.30 and from 11 to midnight. So, everybody, give a listen to WGBB for that tomorrow evening, uh, and Tuesday. Let, let me just say, I'm not yeah. doing this to suck up or anything, but, but Dave... You are really one, in my f- almost four years of being in radio, one of the finest natural broadcasters I've ever seen. Oh, my God. I, I'm not only going to play, I'm going to just, I don't know, I'm going to loop that and use that as my intro or my commercial or something like that. Thank you. You're, you're very Thank good. Thank you, John. And, and I've never come. said that to you off the air. I've never said that to you off the air. No, off the air, we insult each other terribly. We don't like each other, actually. And we have great sex, but no, it's just well, we don't. a joke. We yeah. have terrible sex. But <laughs> show sells out, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, one of the shining lights of GBB, a good person, a good friend, and more and more, uh, you know, I've, I've known him for almost two years now, and how Over far he's years. come as a talent and, and um, a personality, and, and the radio person is pretty amazing, too. Anyway, thanks, Joe, so much for no joining me on Dave's Gone By. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on AM 1240 WGBB Freeport and AM 1240 WGBB.com on this March 1st, 2004. Time for the News Gone By, a look at world and local events of the past week from a cell-zoned-out perspective. On the war front, government leaders say they're making progress in tracking down public enemy number one, Osama bin Laden. Military officials say that by talking to friends and relatives of al-Qaeda members, they've gained vital information on bin Laden's whereabouts. Why they didn't do this two years ago is beyond me. Officials are denying, however, a report on Iranian state radio that bin Laden has already been captured a while ago on the Afghan-Pakistani border. 
President Bush vehemently denied these rumors, saying, Why would we keep such a momentous event a secret? Said Bush, Don't believe everything you hear on television or radio. However, do tune in November 1st for Donald Rumsfeld's first big primetime TV special, live from Guantanamo Bay, featuring his special guest. Well, I can't say, but trust me, it's big. Speaking of Mr. President, Bush has called for a constitutional amendment banning same-sex marriage. In an obvious ploy to appeal to his right-wing, born-again, conservative Christian base, Bush came out swinging against love, monogamy, and equality under the law. The president, who has no trouble sending young boys off to get killed with each other, seems absolutely horrified at the idea of them coming back and marrying each other. In his speech, Bush blasted same-sex unions as, quote, changing the most fundamental institution of civilization, creating confusion on an issue that requires clarity, unquote. Well, what's clear to me is that Bush has made this non-issue an election year priority, and he just so happened to do this in the same week that we sent warships to Haiti, lost more soldiers in Iraq, backed off a pledge to stop using landmines, the U.S. budget deficit was estimated at nearly $500 billion, gas prices were predicted to reach $3 a gallon by the end of the year, and Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan warned that Social Security benefits would have to be cut or else we'd have another depression. But by gosh, according to George Bush, if two lesbians want to fill out the same tax return, or be protected on the same life insurance policy, that will unravel the fabric of this great nation. As if to show her contempt for this way of thinking, Rosie O'Donnell and her longtime girlfriend Kelly Carpenter were wed in San Francisco last week. The gay men's chorus sang at the ceremony and even threw confetti, which charmed O'Donnell until she realized the confetti was made from shredded copies of Rosie magazine and unused playbills for Taboo. Speaking of Broadway, a revival of Fiddler on the Roof opened last week at the Minskoff Theater. I haven't seen this production yet. It's gotten very mixed reviews, and I admit I'm wary. Playing Tevya is Alfred Molina, certainly my first choice to play an orthodox Jewish milkman, And listen to the names of the other cast members. Laura Michelle Kelly, Sally Murphy, John Cariani, Trisha Paolucci, Stephen Lee Anderson, and Enrique Brown. One internet pundit wrote in previews that when the fourth daughter enters a scene, played by Molly Ephraim, he was shocked to finally see a Jew on stage. Now, director David Laveau has said he's trying not to be bound by previous productions of Fiddler. He wants to blow the dust off an antique and make it younger with more sex appeal. Go figure, that would also mean making it less Jewish. Still, director Laveau has the courage of his convictions. His next production is a revival of Reason in the Sun, starring Gilbert Gottfried, Pat Cooper, and Melissa Gilbert as Benita. In animal news, Chinese officials are mourning the death of a five-year-old pig, which they hope to get listed in the Guinness Book of World Records. Previously, the fattest pig on record weighed a little over 1,500 pounds. This porker clocked in at 1,980 pounds. It was 8 foot tall and 7 feet wide. Big surprise, it apparently died from lack of exercise. 
a real tragedy because plans had been underway for the Beast to be shipped to the U.S. and drafted as a linebacker for the NFL. Speaking of sports, now, I don't care what Gordon Gecko says. Greed is not good, at least not when greed is connected to fraud. And that's exactly why the behavior of former Major League umpire Al Clark was so shameful last week. Clark pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit mail fraud and faces five years in prison and a quarter million dollar fine. What did he do? He and his business partner, Richard Grasley Jr., sold baseballs to dealers of sports memorabilia, and they told them these baseballs were special because they were used in the games when Cal Ripken Jr. tied and later broke Lou Gehrig's record for all-time consecutive games played, and also when Nolan Ryan pitched his 300th career victory. Except, these baseballs were nowhere near the stadiums during these milestones. Instead, Clark and Grasley distressed the baseballs to make them look like they were by rubbing them with special mud from a local creek. This goes to show that when you lie and deceive, you not only get your name dragged through the mud, you get your balls dragged through it too. I know, I know, you saw that one coming a mile away, I'm, I'm sorry. Hey, anybody want to buy three million condoms? They're all up for sale in Johannesburg because a factory there was built as a team effort between South Africa and Germany, but it never opened. The remaining stock is up for sale, including three million rubbers in all sorts of colors, flavors, and sizes. Officials say they expect at least two and a half million condoms to go immediately, but they're worried what will happen after Kobe Bryant has his pick. In a semi-related story, if you think driving while talking on a cell phone is bad, get along to this. 35-year-old Andre Ganey of Clifton Park, New York, was pulled over last week when cops noticed his Mercedes-Benz was lit rather unusually inside. Turns out Ganey's car was decked out with video screens, not just for the back seat, but he had a little screen on the passenger side visor so he could watch the movie too while driving. The best part is the flick he was watching was an adult video called Chocolate Foam. Chocolate Foam. Ganey was charged with a bunch of misdemeanors, including public display of offensive material and driving while watching TV. Police also tested his motor skills and noted that while he had no trouble with the breathalyzer, he could only walk in a straight line, bow-legged and hunching over. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hurry, hurry, it's the biggest sale event of the year. 80%, 90%, 100% off. Everything must go. Appliances, stereos, furniture, street signs. It's exciting. It's unbelievable. It's Haiti. You've heard of cash and carry? Well, it's crash and carry here at Port-au-Prince. Come to the sale that only happens once a lifetime. Well, this administration's lifetime anyway. So get on over to Haiti, Route 103, just off St. Mark and the Hispaniola Freeway. Call 1-800-555-COUP. That's 1-800-555-COUP. It's here. It's hot. It's Haiti. Because the rebels are insane. Magnum Christian Opus, The Passion of the Christ, opened in movie theaters around the country. Critics were divided on the film, with the fans more receptive, all agreeing that Passion was intensely, relentlessly gory and violent. In fact, 
One middle-aged woman in Wichita, Kansas, had a heart attack and died during the crucifixion scene. The distributors were shocked by this until they discovered that three weeks ago, the same woman had a stroke during the ferret scene in Along Came Polly. No, but the real controversy surrounding the Passion of the Christ isn't Mel Gibson's almost fetishistic fixation on torture, but his perceived anti-Semitism. I haven't been to the movie, but as I'm sure you've heard or read or seen, apparently every Jew in the film, apart from the title character, is depicted in a nasty, stereotypical way, from being selfish to fickle to savage to literally having big hook noses. Gibson said he took out the most anti-Jewish dialogue, but he didn't. He only took away the subtitles. So, you know, the millions of people who speak ancient Aramaic are really in for a shock. Now, but making matters worse for Gibson was his 85-year-old dad, who decided to give a radio interview. Among other things, Hutton Gibson said the death toll of the Holocaust was greatly exaggerated and that the world is basically run by a conspiracy of Jewish bankers. Most people realize this old man's mouth is a lethal weapon, that he's mad to the max, and that he's nothing but a load warrior. But the issue gets more complex and difficult when you move from the father to the son kind of like in the Bible, I guess. Certainly, a devout Christian like Mel Gibson would have to have been influenced by his dad's views, repudiate them, though he sort of does. And it's not as if, in the last 15 minutes of The Passion, Ben Stiller or the Hebrew Hammer comes by to save the day. It's not as if they went over to Calvary, unpried the nails, nursed J.C. with some chicken soup, and told the Romans, look, we don't like the guy, you don't like the guy, but this is cruel. Take him down, send him to exile. Maybe the Chinese will follow him instead of that fat guy they like. Now, but as I said, I haven't seen the movie. I have no desire to see the movie. But Mel Gibson's already booked for the sequel, which should be pretty good. It's where they roll away the rock, and Jesus is no longer there. But they accidentally roll the rock onto Mary Magdalene. And for two hours, we watch her scream and wail, her eyes bulge out, blood squirts out her ears, pure agony, as she makes this sacrifice for her Savior. Why, the special effects people have even designed a fake spleen that looks just like it's being crushed into the back of her large intestine. Now that's art. And that's the news gone by for March 1st, 2004. Please send your comments, opinions, loaves, and fishes to Days Gone By, Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062, or email daysgoneby at aol.com. We reserve the right to read your letters on the air, name withheld upon request. And I want to send out a nice thank you to Piero of Valley Stream. I was on the radio twice in two days, last night as a guest on Joe Salzone's program, and, of course, tonight on my show, which prompted Piero to write in, quote, Twice the Dave, twice the rave. Well, thank you very kindly, P. I just hope that doesn't mean four times the psychosis. No, but keep those notes and emails coming. Dave's Gone By at AOL.com or snail mail to Dave's Gone By, Box 62, Hewlett, New York. 11557-0062. Send me cards, send me letters, but please, no chocolate foam. I'm allergic. Back after this. 
I don't think I even need to tell you who that is. I feel like I should be launching into that commercial that plays on this station now and again of the greatest hits of the band era and big bands and swing and the pre-war and 1940s and 30s and all that because this is, of course, Glenn Miller. And uh, he would have been 100 years old today. He was born March 1st, 1904. Kind of interesting that uh, Jimmy Dorsey was born yesterday and he would have been 100. Amazing that they're a day apart, same year. Anyway, um... I got some of this information from the GlennMillerOrchestra.com website, and that uh, Glenn was born Alton Glenn Miller, Glenn was his middle name, in Clarinda, Iowa, on March 1st, moved to North Platte, Nebraska, and uh, his first instrument was not a trumpet, it was a mandolin which Miller then traded for an old battered horn, and he practiced every chance he got. In fact, his mother was worried it got to, um, this is a quote from her on the website, it got to where Pop and I used to wonder if he'd ever amount to anything, unquote. Well, in 1923, Glenn Miller entered the University of Colorado, although he spent more time traveling to auditions, and then he just dropped out completely to uh, concentrate on his career, as a professional musician. And he toured with a bunch of orchestras, ended up in Los Angeles, and landed a spot in Ben Pollock's group, a band that included another young guy named Benny Goodman. So, in this group, Miller even got the chance to start writing some of his own arrangements. Went back to New York City, married his college sweetheart, Helen Berger, in 1928, and for the next three years, he earned his living as a freelance trombonist and arranger. But then in 1935, he recorded for the first time under his own name with six horns, a rhythm section, and a string quartet, uh, the songs Moonlight on the Ganges and A Blues Serenade for Columbia Records. But they only sold a few hundred records. And, you know, he stayed with a noble orchestra for a while, formed his own band in 1937, and it went nowhere. So he was really, really depressed and didn't know what to do until he came up with... The sound. Every great band leader finds it. And his sound, and I don't quite understand the musical um, theory behind all this. Maybe musicians out there listening do. But the clarinet holds the melodic line, while the tenor sax plays the same note, and it's all supported harmonically by three other saxophones. I get, you know, the sound of the individual instruments, but I'm not sure what that all means together, except when I hear it. And by March 1938... The second Glenn Miller Orchestra would form, and it would include the likes of Tex Benneke, Marion Hutton, Ray Eberly, and then began breaking attendance records all along the East Coast. And they even played at Carnegie Hall on a night with uh, three of the greatest bands ever, Paul Whiteman, Fred Waring, and, of course, the aforementioned Benny Goodman. And apparently Miller's band created a greater stir than any of the other two. Well, uh, or other three. See, I don't know music, and I don't know how to count. That, that's a problem. Anyway, you know, ben, Glenn Miller's songs, for goodness sakes, Tuxedo Junction, In the Mood, which we just, uh, we're not going to play, but you know that one. Pennsylvania 65,000, um, the 1941 movie Sun Valley Serenade introduced the song Chattanooga Choo Choo. That was his also. And then in October 1942, Glenn Miller reported for Army duty, and he spent months convincing them that he was the guy to upgrade their military bands and that there was a reason 
for doing that, and who is planning a six-month tour of Europe in fall of 1944. He charted a plane, and, well, he was never heard from again. But the interesting thing is that um, a record label has released lost recordings of um, Glenn Miller that were done just, you know, literally like three months before he died. He was overseas. He was doing American Armed Forces radio for the sake of the soldiers and also Germans listening in, kind of propaganda for them to see just how cool America and American music and the evil jazz actually was, and it wasn't evil at all. Shades of swing, swing, swing there, as, as you can probably hear. That was not Benny Goodman. That was Glenn Miller. Everybody loves my baby from lost recordings done for basically Armed Forces Radio. There were concerts given, not in front of a live audience, but uh, done for the radio as propaganda, but also just cool music. And, uh, as I said, celebrating Glenn Miller's 100th birthday would have been on Dave's Gone By on AM 1240 WGBB Freeport and AM 1240 WGBB.com. Getting kind of late here on this Monday night, so I'd better wrap things up, which I usually do with a bunch of thank yous and a slew of reminders. So this week's thank yous include Sal Solomon, whose movie criticism gets a thumbs up in my book, and of course, Joe Salzone, my special guest. May we agree to disagree for years to come. Don't forget to catch Your World with Joe Salzone, Sunday nights at 7, his late night shows, Sunday and Monday nights at 11, and his TV show, Sunday afternoons at 1, on Long Island Cable Channel 20. As I said, the program that we taped last night, live on the radio, uh, for Joe's show, that was videotaped for broadcast on the Sunday television show. So look for it. Sundays, 1 p.m. on Long Island Cable Channel 20. Probably not this weekend, but the weekend after, or the one after that. And... Also, reminder, uh, as far as Joe goes, tomorrow is big Super Tuesday election day, so I'm going to be a guest again on a special Joe Salzone political program, wrapping up Super Tuesday. I'll be calling in tomorrow night, Tuesday, uh, also both between 9 to 9.30 p.m. on WGBB, and again from 11 to midnight when the whole wrap-up goes on. Not sure what I can contribute, because I'm just going to be watching TV like everybody else to find out what happened, but... uh, I'll try and say something funny, so tune in. And tune in also to Bonnie D. Graham, hosting Long Island's Dating Friday nights at 6 on this station, as well as Comic Book Novice every Thursday night at 9. And any night you're in the mood for Indian food, might I suggest the Tondor Grill, 222 Sunrise Highway in Rockville Center. Check out their menu at tandoorgrill.com. Not tandoori. Leave off that last I for Indianicious. I want to wish a happy birthday to my cousin Bobby, turning the big 3-0. And I want to thank, as always, my wife Joyce for her love and, well, no, just her love. The rest is filigree. And if you filigree that Dave's on... Dave's gone by... Oh, I blew the joke. Let me try that again. And if you filigree that Dave's gone by is one of the most unique and entertaining shows on the radio, please let me know. Let the station know. Dave's gone by at AOL.com or visit the website and buy something. Hometown.AOL.com forward slash Dave's gone by. I've got a book. I've got CDs. Cool stuff. Hometown.AOL.com forward slash Dave's gone by. Well, you hear the music. 
a little more Glenn Miller as we say adios to this episode of Dave's Gone By. But we're back with you next week, Monday night, March 9th, for our 68th show. Comedy, music, talk, our usual, unusual mix. Until then, don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz. Good night. Adios. And gone by.